0: Today's scripture reading comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8 through 15. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment For for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. This is God's word.
1: Hi, New Hope. It's great to see all of you. Um, if you're visiting with us, it's especially great to see you and to worship our God with you today. I'm going to ask that you uh, join with me in prayer before we jump into the study of God's Word. Let's pray. Our Father, we have sung of uh, great things today. We have given many reasons to rejoice. You have called us to rejoice, and yet we know that... Um, because of discouragement or distraction or any number of other factors and things that we drag into this place with us, we might find it hard to rejoice today. And so we ask that you'd help us to rejoice, fill us with joy in response to your promises, and to response to what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. We ask that you would not allow uh, sin in our own hearts or distractions from outside of us to, to somehow rob us of joy in your presence. Instead, Lord, we ask that you would increase increase our love for you, our faith in you, and our joy in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of us were taught that it's impolite to talk about money, but the Bible actually has a a good deal to say about that topic. We don't talk about money very much from up here. Um, I want you to know that, especially if you're a guest with us. Um, Hopefully the people who are are regulars here and members here would be able to affirm that we don't talk about this very often. But when we do, my hope is that we'll talk about money and wealth in a way that's informed by God's word and in a way that reflects the importance that God places on this topic. So the passage that Christy just read to us, thank you for reading those words to us, sister. Those words just read to us are about money to a degree. More specifically, they're about generosity, Those words were written by the Apostle Paul, and they were written to a very affluent church. And they were written to encourage that affluent church to help meet the needs of Christians in another church, in another city. The Apostle Paul was addressing a very specific situation in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. But in the process of addressing that very specific situation, he provides us with a lesson on how we should view wealth, and on how we should use our resources. So I trust that what he had to say to them will prove very helpful to us. Now, if you um, happen to be younger, maybe you don't have a lot of wealth, maybe you don't have much money at all, I trust that what we'll look at today will still prove helpful to you. I trust that it will still help to, to shape your view on what, God's purposes are in giving us resources. I believe that early on, the habits that we form and the views that we form on resources and money will shape the way that we deal with money once we get it later on down the road. If we get it later on down the road. Now to be clear, This sermon is not part of an end-of-year fundraising effort. I know many of us are getting all those emails and texts and phone calls from all those organizations asking for us to continue or to begin supporting their work. That's not what this is, okay? In fact, the only reason that we're on this topic today is because for the past two months, we've been studying our church covenant, This document here, which is a set of commitments, nine commitments, in fact, that the members of this church have made to one another and to God. And so today we happen to come to this particular commitment. We didn't plan it this way, but here we are. Let's read this commitment aloud together, shall we? It reads this way. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. In a sense, what we're looking at today is a continuation of what we looked at last week, where we reaffirmed our commitment as a church to engage in gospel-centered ministry together. So, so if you're a member of New Hope Fellowship, you, you have committed to work together to serve along with every other member of this church to carry out ministry that is centered on the gospel, that is centered on the message that Jesus Christ is Savior of the world. And so this week, we're going to see that one way we engage in that collective work together is by contributing financially to meet three specific needs, the three specific needs that are highlighted here. In our covenant, the first need is the expenses of the church, the second is the relief of the poor, and lastly, the spread of the gospel through the nations. Three categories of need that we as members of New Hope have said, we want to contribute to meet these needs. Now, before we move on, I think it might be helpful for us to pause for a moment and just see how these categories here happen to align with the ways that New Hope tries to use the offerings that, that you all give to the church. Um, our budget happens to have five major categories, and these are the five major categories in our budget. Ministry expenses, missions and benevolence, staff, operating expenses, and emergency and building funds. If you've been a member of New Hope, Fellowship for any, any length of time then you've sat in members uh, meetings, especially at the beginning of the year, where we look at our budget, we um, ratify that budget, um, we approve it or, or we don't but let me just tell you a little bit about some of these uh, these different categories ministry expenses this covers uh, the cost of our children 's ministry, our youth ministry, our worship ministries, etc, all the ministries that exist within the church um, that includes the the, the the funds needed for Uh, Equipment, for resources, um, and then also under that category, we also happen to subsidize and, and cover the cost of courses, seminars, conferences for ministry. Uh, team members, but also for members of the church. So if if you would like to grow and to be more equipped in some area of ministry where you're serving, you'd like to grow in that area, please talk to us. Please talk to me, one of the other elders. Um, We'd love to get together with you and our finance deacons and talk about ways that we could help subsidize or cover the the cost of courses, seminars, conferences, etc. That would help you to grow in your ability to engage in what we talked about last week. Every member ministry. Okay? The missions and benevolence. Missions and benevolence speaks to, um, this covers our involvement in local church planting. Um, presently, we, we are helping support a young church plant in the Bronx called Fordham Community Church, uh, even younger church plant in Yonkers called Axe Church. We also work with uh, an organization called the Crete Collective that is helping to plant churches, start new churches um, all over the country, especially in underserved uh, black and, and brown uh, uh, communities. We're also involved in international church planting and that comes out of our missions and benevolence budget as well. Many of you know that we're actively involved in helping plant a church in Windhoek, Namibia called Holy Trinity Church with our friend and brother KK. We're continuing to help support the planting of new churches in Taiwan through our friend and brother Todd Blackhurst. Both those brothers were just here this past summer. Missions and benevolence also covers our involvement in community partnerships with organizations like Expect Hope in the Bronx that provides housing and care and discipleship for young single at-risk mothers. Hearts and Home for Refugees, organization that helps plant and 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 uh, uh, assimilate uh, refugee families here in Westchester County. I'm just giving you a sampling of some of the partnerships that fall under these categories. And then our benevolence, the benevolence ministry, that that speaks to the, the ways in which we as a church have sought to meet the material needs of people within our church and hopefully eventually people outside of our church as well. Our benevolence or mercy ministry helps cover costs for things like rent for those who have lost their jobs or are underemployed or are in the midst of financial shortfalls. We've covered rent for people. We've covered medical costs, unexpected medical costs for people. You've covered counseling and therapy costs for people who need help that we're unable to, provide. that goes beyond the counseling that we can provide as a church. And so let me, let me remind you as well, or inform you, if you find yourself in need financially, you're not in an island to yourself. The Benevolence, the Mercy Ministry is there, particularly to help meet needs like yours, perhaps. And so I would encourage you to speak to one of the elders, including me, or speak to our Mercy Deacon, Nancy Leboy. And we can talk to you and find out ways that we can help you through a season of a season of, of need. And then, of course, there's our staff. We have to compensate our, our, our small but but uh, growing full time and part time staff. It provides their salaries and benefits. And then there's our operating expenses. Our operating expenses go towards paying rent for this building and maintaining our van and paying for our office rent and our website, and things like that. And then lastly, there's our emergency and building funds. It's money that's there in case we need it, an emergency, and it's money that we're saving in the hopes of perhaps buying a building in the, in the future. So in any case, I'm sorry to bore you with that list, but as you look at that list, I hope you can see how the three needs mentioned in our covenant are represented here on this list. Namely, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through the nations. Can can you see how they're represented here? All of these have to do with those three needs. I hope you can also see how those three categories of needs, they intersect across this list too. For instance, let me give you an example. By helping plant Holy Trinity Church in Namibia, or by helping plant Fordham Community Church in the Bronx, we are, one, helping spread the gospel, we are, too, helping meet the needs of underserved people in those communities. And all the while, we're also helping cover their church expenses. And there are many other points in this list at which those three categories of need intersect. And we help meet those needs as we give cheerfully and regularly. Cheerfully and regularly. That, that language in our covenant, It by the way, it comes from something that Paul wrote elsewhere Christy just read to us from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, but in the very next chapter, chapter 9, Paul says this. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, a cheerful giver. And then in another letter, an earlier letter that that, that Paul wrote to this very same church in 1 Corinthians 16, he says these words, on the first day of every week, Each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. So what that implies is a kind of rhythm of regular setting aside to give. That's where we get the language cheerfully and regularly. So hopefully that explains the the meaning of that line in our covenant. But our goal here today is not just to understand what our covenant says and where the language comes from and why it says it. What we need to do is push in deeper so that we can understand the ethic of giving, the values surrounding giving and, and generosity that the Bible urges us towards. So let's go back to Second Corinthians chapter 8, the passage that was read for us earlier. If you have a copy of the Bible, I encourage you to open it up. It's 2 Corinthians 8. We'll show some of these verses up here too. And just to set the context, what's going on here is that there are Christians in Jerusalem who are in extreme need And so Paul the Apostle, because he cares about them, he's been asking many churches to help provide relief. And here in 2 Corinthians 8, he's asking the church in Corinth. He's asking a relatively wealthy church to help. And there are at least six basic principles that jump out at us as we look through this passage. Principles that will help us to think biblically and to think well about generosity And they're right here in God's words. These, I trust, are not my ideas. They're right here. So let's see what they are. Six principles for Christian generosity. Six principles for Christian generosity. And by the way, I'm calling it Christian generosity. Not because Christians are the only generous people in the world or anything like that. No, the fact is that in general, giving or or philanthropy, it could be motivated by many different factors, right? What might motivate you to give to someone else or to be philanthropic? It could be guilt, right? Or shame. It could be tax benefits. It could be a number of other more noble motives as well. But for followers of Jesus Christ, generosity is meant to be shaped at least by these six principles that are all in this passage. So first, Christian generosity is a response to the gospel. It's a response to the gospel. Look at verse 9 of our passage. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich rich. So for the follower of Jesus Christ, giving is a response to what Jesus has given. It's a response to that message that he is the savior of the world and he saves us by giving himself for us completely, giving up all of himself in order to have us, to rescue us. We're going to come back to that. But second, second principle for Christian generosity. It's beneficial to you. It's beneficial to you. Look at verse 10 of our passage of 2 Corinthians 8. It says, and in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it well. You see what's going on here is the Corinthian church, they had pledged to help their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. So Paul now about a year later is calling them to follow through on what they had pledged to do, to follow through on what they had already started to do. And he's saying, the reason I'm calling you to follow through is not ultimately for the good of the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. It's ultimately for your good, or it's, at least it's also for your good. It's for your own benefit. So, so I want us to think about just for a moment, how does generosity benefit us? How does generosity benefit us? We might be able to come up with a very long list. I'm not going to do that. But I would argue that the discipline of giving is a means of grace. A means of grace. What what that means is, what, what I mean by means of grace is that the discipline of giving, liberally, generously, it's an instrument by which God blesses and changes us. We sang about this earlier. Look at these lyrics we sang together just a moment ago. This offering is a means of grace. All I have is yours. You show me this to grow my faith. All I have is yours. The more I give, the less I need. I learn that you'll provide for me. I was blind to this, but now I see that all I have is yours generosity grows our trust in god it grows our contentment so many of you could testify to this you could tell stories about how living generously has grown your trust and grown your contentment as our eyes are open to god's faithfulness and we realize that he will in fact provide even as he uses me to provide for others So that through this discipline of regular, cheerful giving, we are changed slowly from from tight-fisted people to open-handed people. And God weans us off of our trust in money and our trust in stuff. Doesn't our trust naturally gravitate towards money and stuff? Well, as we give, the Lord is weaning us away from that tendency. And we're reminded all along that that all we have everything we have is his to begin with <laughs> we don't lose a thing when we give to him the flip side of course if, if generosity is good for us then the flip side of that is of course is that stinginess harms us and hinders us have you experienced this many of us have Stinginess, it, it, it keeps us from, it keeps us discontent, doesn't it? Always wanting more. It keeps us anxious about financial security as we keep trusting in stuff. God wants to free us from that. And what He uses so often to free us from that is generosity. He knows the process is hard. We don't let go of stuff or of resources or of money very easily sometimes. Like any loving parent, he breaks us from that. Our, he breaks our grip slowly and gently and kindly. It's risky to live generously. And it's hard. And yet God loves us so deeply that he will not allow us to just go on living self-centered, greedy, stingy lives. He calls us to generosity for our benefit. And then thirdly, thirdly, it isn't about the amount. It's about willingness to give according to what you have. This is clear in our passage to verse 12. Verse 12 says, For if the readiness is there, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. You see, what, what God is calling us to is to give as we are able in proportion with what he has given us. It's reasonable, isn't it? I recently took my family to the Museum of Natural History, and um, they have a policy there where, many of you know this, if you're a New York resident, you give um, as you're able. No, they don't say give as you're able, they say give as you'd like. Those are two different things. I went there with my family of seven. It cost me $7 to get into the Museum of Natural History. Now, I say that knowing that some of you are shaking your head. You're like, Rob, you're so cheap. Yes, it's a big family. And, you know, between the parking and the food, it, it was an expensive day. Let's just put it that way. So, so if I could save some money on the entrance fee, I, I was eager to do it. So he said, give what you'd like. I said, $1 for each of these beautiful kids and for my beautiful wife. And one, one for me. But how different would have it looked if I knew that the owner of the museum gave me all the money that I have in the first place? That everything I had was from him? What if I knew that the owner of that museum had died for me, given his life to save mine? How much would I have given then? How much would I have wanted to give then? And so the call to generosity from our God, the giver of every gift, the owner of everything that we own is, yes, his call is to give according to what we have, according to what we have, according to what he has given us. And then fourthly, fourthly, we share a responsibility to meet each other's needs, okay? By meeting one of another's needs, we're not just doing each other a favor. By meeting the needs of other churches in our area and globally, we're not just doing them a favor. We actually have a responsibility to do this. Look at verse 13. Paul says, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need that there may may be fairness. You see that word, fairness, it shows up twice. It means equity um, within the community of God's people. It's fair for the one who has more than they need to supply the needs of the one who has less than they need. That's how God's economy works. You might call it kingdom economics. It might not sound fair in our nation's economics or in terms of worldly economics, but in God's kingdom, this is equitable. It's interesting that in the very next verse, in verse 15, Paul quotes from the book of Exodus. He says, As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. And what he's talking about there is this, this instance in the history of Israel where they're in the, the, the wilderness, wandering through the wilderness, and God provides manna. He provides food from heaven to supply the the, the physical needs of his people and what we find when we read that account is it was just enough no one lacked no matter how much they were able to gather everyone had just enough God provided enough and his design in that instance was to give directly to his people from heaven shower down manna now he's saying My design now to provide for my people is not to shower manna from heaven. It's to provide for my people through my people. So that if I give more to one segment of my family, my expectation is that they will give to those who have less. We can think about that locally within the life of our local church. That's why we give and collect money under our mercy and benevolence budget in order to allot that money to those in our community who need it. We can also think about that globally. Globally. God gives more than necessary to some in order that those of us who have more than necessary would supply the needs of those who do not have enough. It's God's economy. It's God's design. He calls it fair. And we have to read this. I believe we have to read this new hope in the light of the fact that we live in one of the wealthiest parts of the wealthiest nations in the world. And come at it from that angle. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? Fifthly, fifthly, generosity needs to be willing and voluntary. Can't be compulsory or forced, right? Look at verse 8. Verse 8, Paul says, I am not commanding you. <laughs> In other words, he says, I'm not ordering you. I'm not coercing you to give. I'm not commanding you. But then he does compare. He, does, he brings up this, this other church. A- and, and this is interesting. He points to the generosity of others. Let's look at this more carefully. Look at verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 8. He says, I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, right? So we've got Christians in Jerusalem are struggling. Paul's talking to Christians in Corinth saying, help them. I'm going to come and collect money to help them. And he brings up this other church in another region, Macedonia. And he says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part for... Look at this. They gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, not by coercion, not being forced, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So he's saying, Corinthians, look at the Macedonians as an example of willingness. Of willingness. Although they had their own serious needs, they actually begged for the privilege of helping supply the needs of these saints in Jerusalem. They were more than willing. They begged for the privilege. They begged for the benefit. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? And they gave out of their need. It's, it's fascinating. They, they willingly said no to their own comfort. They willingly said no to themselves and their own desires in order to say yes to the need of the Jerusalem Christians. This raises a question for us. For me, I know it does. What what comforts do I esteem more highly than the needs of others? What comforts are non negotiables for me? Like, I want these comforts, I want these things, even if it means that I'm deciding not to help meet the need of someone else. Through our church, in our church. And that leads us to our last basic principle. Sixthly, generosity is an act of love. Generosity is an act of love. It's evidence of love. Look at verse 8 again. We just looked at it. We'll look at it again. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others, namely the earnestness of the Macedonians. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Paul points to the example of the Macedonians like we just saw in verses 1 to 7, but, but I want us to make sure we understand. He's not saying, hey Corinthians, you should be generous because they were. That's not his point. It's not give because they gave. Don't let them show you up. Don't let them embarrass you. That's not what he's saying. Instead, when we read this whole section together, we'll see that what he really is saying is give because Jesus gave. Give as a response to the gospel, as an act of love for Jesus. Let's read verses 8 and 9 together. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For, for You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. You see what he's saying? Give extravagantly, not because the Macedonians did, and you need to keep up. No, it's give extravagantly because he gave himself for you. It's as if Paul is saying the the Macedonians recognize that. They, those guys, they recognize the lavish, generous gift of grace. And it motivated them to give. So how about you, Corinthians? How about you? Do you recognize the lavish grace of Jesus? Do you love him for that? If so, if so, prove your love for Jesus. Prove that it's real by giving generously to help his people. He's saying, give to your local church in Corinth so that those funds can be collected and used to meet the needs in Jerusalem. And this message is for us too. It's to us. Your generosity to the church and your generosity through the church as the church gives is a response to Jesus and it's a response to his grace. He has lavished us. He spent himself for you. He emptied himself for you. And and with your offerings, you're you're not reimbursing him. (laughs) Sounds silly to even say it. But you are responding to his lavish generosity. Giving is an act of loving worship to him. and He receives it as loving worship. Philippians 4.18 calls it a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Doesn't it feel great to give a gift to someone and look at their face and see how acceptable and pleasing it is to them on Christmas morning, for instance? To see the, the, the joy that just naturally appears on their face when they look at the gift. And, they, and you can read on their face, oh, this excites me. This is acceptable. More than acceptable, this pleases me. This is how God responds to our giving. Hebrews 13, 16 says that such sacrifices are pleasing to him. It's an act of love to Jesus. It's an act of love to Jesus because it's a response to what he's done, but it's also also an act of love to Jesus because you're helping carry out his mission. You're aligning your mission with his, the growth of his kingdom. When we give, and remember, it's not about amount, it's, it's about willingness to give, In accordance with what we have, with what he's given us, when we give to support the ministry of his church, we are embracing our identity as exiles. It's very countercultural. We're embracing our identity as exiles. We're saying, this isn't our home. I love Westchester, I love New York, I love where we live, but this isn't our permanent home. So we're investing in another economy. We are gladly investing in another economy. Many of us grew up in immigrant families. If you grew up in an immigrant family, I wonder if your parents or your relatives would would often send money back home to their native country. Why would they send money back home? To support family members, to support loved ones, right? It's as if they're saying, look, I'm happy to be here. But I've got loyalties back home. I've got responsibilities back home, and so I might feel, at least temporarily, I feel like a foreigner here. But but I'm, I'm I, I, I love being here, and yet and yet I'm committed to meeting these needs. Back in the place that I still consider home. There are similarities here between that and the the our status as exiles living in this world. If you have believed in Jesus, this is not your permanent home. You belong to another kingdom. And so when we give, we're declaring ourselves exiles whose budgets are shaped by our loyalty and our love to Jesus. Not loyalty to the American dream. No loyalty to, to comfort. Not loyalty to excess or to, 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 to the idol of, of financial status and, and complete security. no. We're saying, my loyalties are elsewhere. Giving to and through the church is an act of love to Jesus because it acknowledges that all we have is his. As we sang and repeated so many times earlier, it's his money, it's his, these are his resources. If the very breath in my lungs is his, then how much more is everything that I have his? And so because we love him, we use it in the way that he calls us to. Christian generosity is ultimately motivated by love. Love for Jesus and also love for other people, for one another. Remember, why why was money collected in the early church? It was collected to relieve the needs of the poor, inside and outside the church, and it was collected to support the spread of the gospel. And both of those reasons align with what our covenant says about contributing for the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through the nations. And notice that both those reasons are about people. They're about people. It's about meeting the physical needs of people and bringing the gospel to people. Generosity isn't just this act of worship to God. It is very practically an act of love towards people. Towards our brothers and sisters, and towards folks who still have not submitted their lives to King Jesus. So, here are the six basic principles for generosity. And again, these are just from this one passage. There are probably more, but it's a response to the gospel. It's beneficial to you. It's not about the amount. It's about willingness to give. We share a responsibility to meet each other's needs. It needs to be willing and voluntary. And it's an act of love. So my question for us this afternoon as we close is, how are these principles shaping the way that we think about and use our resources? How are these principles reflected in our budget? If we were to look at our budget, would we say, yes, these three principles permeate through the way that we spend money as a family, as an individual? How will these principles affect the way that we budget for 2024? As I said at the outset, this is not an end-of-year push to raise funds. Far from it. The the Lord has been faithful to us as a church, and we can trust him to keep being faithful. So the elders, I, deacons, we don't need to make a high-pressure appeal to anyone to give. Instead, we thank you for your generosity to this church and to others through this church and your love for the Lord that's evidenced through your generosity. So we don't need to make any hard-sell appeals. What we do need to do, though, we have a responsibility to faithfully call you to respond to the gospel. I have, our elder. we have a responsibility to call you to respond to the gospel. First, first, by giving yourself to the Lord, to trust him. Because though he was rich, he became poor for your sake. So that through his poverty, you might become rich eternally rich lacking nothing and he did this on the cross when he emptied himself trust him trust him it's funny, uh, and it's not funny, but it's interesting. Earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, when, when the Apostle Paul is describing those Macedonians who were so generous to give to the people in Jerusalem, he says, he says, first, before they started giving to the people in Jerusalem, before they started giving money back to God, he says, they gave themselves first to the Lord. And so this is my plea for any of you who have yet to do so. Give yourself first to the Lord. You can trust him not just with your funds and your retirement your plans you can trust him with your very self you can trust him with your eternal soul Give give yourself to him believe in him and what he's done for you he became poor for you and he offers you all all the eternal wealth in the universe if you will trust him and then and then learn more about his kingdom economics and then learn as we all we all need to continue to grow and learn when he tells what he tells us about how to use what he gives us let let your love for him and for others drive you to what this world would would call radical generosity radical generosity I don't have any formulas to tell you how much of your income should be given away. If anyone does have formulas for you, I would be a little wary of that. The Old Testament, under that covenant, the call was to tithe 10%. It was 10% of everything, 10% of income and all other produce and everything. We don't have time to go into all of what the tithe was, but I would suggest that this is a wise starting point A good way to begin thinking about what Christian generosity should look like, to think in terms of 10% of my income. I commend that to you for your consideration. But again, this is not a law. I'm I'm also not saying that all your generosity should be directed toward the church. That's not the case either. There are needs outside of the church certainly as well, but I am saying that membership in this church involves a commitment to give toward the support of the ministry that we're engaging in together and I want to thank you for your commitment to that new hope. We we all have to receive this word and humbly do something with it. We need to wrestle with it, discern how is God calling us to live out generosity right now in this season? It's not going to look the same for everyone. But ultimately we must be willing to obey for our benefit and for the glory of Jesus. So thank you. Thank you, New Hope, for obeying Jesus. As a church, I think if you look at our budget over the years, you'll see that we are growing in generosity, growing in terms of generosity in terms of giving to this church, but also growing in generosity in ways that this church is giving and supporting and partnering and meeting needs. It's growing significantly over the years. Our missions budget, our mercy budget, Let's keep growing as a church. Let's keep growing in faithfulness. Because after all, all we have is his. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your willingness to speak into our lives, into areas that maybe we find it awkward to talk to each other about, but you boldly and lovingly enter in and speak wisdom to us. Help us to trust you. Help us to trust your ways to trust your word. And we ask our Father that we would be a people that live in such a way that exhibit our love for you and our love for one another in the way that we use the many resources that you've given us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for giving us yourself. What more could you do to show us the heart of generosity and to give us your very self?